Hi, everyone, and welcome to the podcast, That Almost Killed Me. This is the first episode of a brand new true life, real life podcast. We will be sharing stories here that are all about people who have overcome the odds, that have come from behind on their luck, and who almost didn't make it out of their situation, but the story has a happy ending. It is a little bit of a different vibe from the other podcasts that I have currently been hosting, which is Never Too Early for Murder. It is in the true crime community genre, and the reason I decided to start this podcast is that it was kind of inspired by my sister. She had told me one day, hey, I really support you and your true crime podcast. I know you're excited. It's getting really popular. People are listening and I'm happy for you. But she was basically like, I'm never going to listen to that because she's just not into true crime. And I completely understand that. And I kind of started getting the idea that there are probably some other people out there who are interested in the real life genre of storytelling, but maybe don't have the stomach for the true crime. So we decided to start the podcast that almost killed me. And these stories, while they do have maybe some parts in them that can be a little bit harder to hear, the idea of it is that the story isn't over until the story is good, meaning that all of these stories have a happy ending. And I'm excited to kind of do a little bit of a lighter spin on the real life, uh, you know, true storytelling aspect of podcasts. So if you are interested, please make sure to check out our true crime podcast, Never Too Early for Murder. It is streaming on all the platforms everywhere you like to listen. But in the meantime, we are going to jump into the first episode of That Almost Killed Me. So let's introduce my co-host for today. It is going to be my wonderful mother. Her name is Sandra, but we all in the family call her Gigi. So say hi to everybody, Gigi. Hi, everyone. Happy to be here. One day we actually plan to share Gigi's story here on the podcast as well because in my opinion she's really led an amazing and inspiring life that I believe a lot of people will really be able to connect with. I don't know if she's as, as excited about that as I am but I think you guys will really like her story and once we get a little more comfortable we will be sure to cover that on an episode. In the meantime, we are going to jump into our very first podcast. Gigi will be blind reacting to all of our stories here, and all of her reactions and commentary are a direct reflection of her hearing the story for the very first time. So are you excited to host your first, co-host your first podcast? We've been talking about doing this forever. Yeah, I'm excited. I'm ready. Let's go. All right. If you're ready, let's get into it. Our sources for this story are wikipedia.org. DocOne.tv, TheStrive.co, CNBC.com, AllHands.Navy.Mill, the Amazon storefront where you can find the book Can't Hurt Me, and Fenty.com. This is the true life story of David Goggins. Do you know who David Goggins is? I do not. Okay, yay, we're one for one on me picking a story where you don't really know who this person is. In this story, we will take a closer look at David's life story and showcase how he became one of the fittest men on earth. It's pretty impressive stuff to start out the podcast, I think. So David Goggins was born on February 17th in 1975 to Trunus and Jackie Goggins. In 1981, David lived in Williamsville, New York with his parents and brother Trunus Jr. As a six-year-old, David was forced to work alongside his mother and brother at his father's skate rink. And from an early age, David, his mother, and his brother all suffered from severe physical, mental, and emotional abuse at the hands of his father. Looking at this, I mean, having a six-year-old work, isn't that kind of wild? We have a lot of kids in the family now. You've obviously been a mother. Can you imagine sending us to work at the skate shop? 
No, no, not at six. Yeah. As the years rolled on, David and his family were deep into the life of poverty, living paycheck to paycheck and enduring regular violent outbursts that continued to become more aggressive and frequent as the time went on. These adversities ended up manifesting as problems for David, such as memory and attention issues, as well as causing him to develop a stutter. One day, when David was just eight years old, he saw his own father hurting his mother yet again. According to his book, You Can't Hurt Me, he recalled that there was something in him saying, you've got to go and do something. And what David did next changed the course of his family's life forever. David couldn't stand to see his mom hurt by the hands of his father even one more time. So eight-year-old David ran down the stairs and jumped onto the back of his dad trying to defend his mom. Good for him. I know. Little awesome eight-year-old. Immediately, his father's rage was focused on the young eight-year-old boy. Successful in protecting his mother, David was now the target and his father began to beat him too. Seeing her child hurt trying to protect her would prove to be the last straw for David's mom. And after the incident, his mom gathered up all the courage she can find inside of herself and was able to successfully leave David's abusive father. Along with David's brother, David and his mother moved over 500 miles away to Brazil, Indiana. Now, I want to take a minute to pause and talk about domestic abuse and the reality of how hard it can be to leave an abusive domestic relationship like that. And I don't want to put you too much on the spot or deep dive too much into something you, you might not be comfortable talking about. But is there anything from your own experiences that you can share to our listeners that might give them some first person insight on what it's like to try and leave a situation like that? Um, yeah, it's not as easy as it sounds, right? Somebody's hitting you. Why don't you just leave? There's a lot that goes into that. A lot of times there's a trauma bond between the two people. Um, most people aren't just physically abusing, they're mentally abusing. So then you, you hear a lot of stories about, you know, you're worthless, you're nobody without me and no one's ever going to want you. And so there's a lot of psychological abuse that also goes on that keeps people in relationships that they shouldn't stay in. And to the outsider, it seems so obvious that they should leave. But in reality, statistics show that it can take somebody leaving up to five times before it finally sticks, which is you can imagine the mental and emotional struggle they're going through to have to leave and come back, leave and come back and and what that really would take to actually finally leave for good. Yeah, I stayed 10 years. David was hopeful the move might be a chance for a new beginning, but he would soon begin to experience a new kind of torture. When David moved to Indiana with his mother and brother, he longed for a fresh start. He dreamed of a new home where he could finally feel safe, which is so sad. This kid's eight, and he just wants to, like, be loved and feel safe. However, David's dreams were quickly shattered at the hands of his classmates. Oh, wow. When David began school, he was bullied for his distinctive appearance. And again, I'm going to ask you to just really quickly share some of your experiences as a teacher for many, many years. Did you see a lot of kids bullied in the classroom because I believe in this case it was because he was African-American. He went to a predominantly white school. Um, There's always bullying. It's existed probably since time began. It's sad um, and it's always hard to see. Sometimes the kid being bullied actually brings it on himself and then sometimes just because they look different or have like a learning disability sure well we'll go on to say that david's peers tormented him definitely for being different and according to david's book he tried to hide how much their words and actions hurt him but deep down he was slowly breaking down and in his book he recalls it was really jacking him up quote inside all the insecurities that i had when i was a kid with my father it just got worse and his classmates' cruelty would soon affect him what felt like beyond repair. 
which is a whole nother reason why I'm also a big proponent of homeschool. You know, it could be a whole nother podcast. Like you don't have to keep your child in an environment like that. And I know sometimes parents don't know that they can do it different, but I would immediately pull my child public, out of that. Public school isn't for everybody. And right. I can attest to that. My mom, I'm one of four kids and she really let us explore what would be the right educational opportunities. Some of us did private, some of us finished homeschool. I finished public school. And, you know, I think in situations like this, what maybe might have kept David's mom from doing that is that she was actually working three jobs at the time to make ends meet for her family, which I know you can also relate to. And he didn't really want to add anything else to her plate. So he, his mom actually didn't know that he was being bullied. And because of this, he decided to keep the bullying a secret from his mother. And in his book, he tells, he recalls that he felt like he was the man of the house. And he didn't want to add anything else, you know, to her plate or worry her about his life. However, when David was diagnosed with a learning disability, he would not be able to keep that news a secret from her, too. So it's sort of like you mentioned, that's another reason why, you know, he might be bullied. David had begun skipping class to escape the torment from his classmates. And as a result, he had never learned how to read. Oh, no. But despite this challenge... David was not ready to give up. In his book, he recalls that he wanted to feel something besides defeat. Wait, how was he skipping class at eight and nobody knew that? That's a good question. So this sort of like the info, this is kind of giving you the background info on him. He's skipping class from, I guess, fourth grade through junior uh, year in high school. And so he, when he did attend class though, like he, so, so ultimately backing it up, he was skipping class. He didn't learn to read. And despite the challenge, he wasn't ready to get up, but he soon his mom got a letter in the mail essentially from the school saying, Hey, your kid is basically about to flunk out. He's only attended about 80% of his classes. And where the other part comes in that he didn't learn to read is that he would cheat when he was in class. Gotcha. Like he never actually did any of his classwork. And this went on basically from fourth grade all the way to junior year. So he's smart. He's just not smart in the educational system where you're doing all the rote memorization. Which and all would that. have actually probably been a perfect candidacy for homeschool. Right. Because he just learns differently. Right. Much like the night he jumped on his father's back to defend his mother, seeing his mother so disappointed that he might flunk out of school made something click inside of David that day. Following the letter, David was able to rally his motivation to get his studies in order and despite the odds, was eventually able to graduate high school. So he pulls it together, learns to read, Good for him. and graduates. Following his high school graduation, David decided to join the United States Air Force. He wanted to join the Tactical Air Control Party, a unit whose job was to save down pilots in the water. So essentially, they would be like the helicopters that come in, they drop in and, and try to help people. He was accepted into training after failing the ASVAB twice, which I'm assuming is like the entry test. Unfortunately, David was a weak swimmer who was terrified of open water. And although he initially tried to ignore his self-doubt and he tried to push through the training, he all too soon felt a familiar feeling that would soon end his just barely started Air Force career. And he was once again given bad news. That's crazy why would you pick a job that you were were afraid to do I I can totally relate as a midwife too there's a lot of fear in that job um but that's interesting that he picked a job that he was afraid of open water and swimming that that required open water right that he wasn't a strong swimmer I, I totally agree David though now receiving bad news again was diagnosed with sickle cell trait which made low depth high altitude and harsh conditions even more dangerous for him so the air force decided to send him home for a short while David actually had the option to return to this training program 
after just a week of rest, but he chose not to. David used the diagnosis as an excuse, telling the instructors he feared the risk to his health, when in reality, David admitted to himself that he had let his fears beat him, and he was ultimately released permanently from the water training. Once David was released from the pararescue training, he began learning how to help his team navigate missions from land instead of water, but this time with the Air Force Tactical Air Control Party. Hey, you got to go with what you're good at, you know, work with your strengths. Yeah. And so he, the soldier in training, you know, David, he no longer had to worry about facing his fears of the open water, but a new obstacle soon presented itself. So he's kind of coming back to it's Such like he's kind of life. pushing through. Right. Very right. real, real, relatable, realistic tale. David was struggling to pass the aptitude test that would allow him to finish training. After many attempts to find a study pattern that worked for him, David discovered that if he just wrote things down over and over again, he would eventually retain the information, and then he eventually passed the test and was able to finish his training. Good for him. David served with the United States Air Force from 1994 to 1999. However, during David's time in the Air Force, a lot changed for him. During that time, David experienced big changes in his body, and in his book, he recalls that he gained 125 pounds. Dang. Going from 175 to 300 pounds over the course of the four years in service. Despite his decline in health and issues with asthma, David really struggled to make the necessary changes to his diet and lifestyle that were recommended to him. After leaving the army, his destructive dietary and sedentary habits followed him into civilian life. But why would you start eating? To me, that sounds like he was like feeding his emotionally eating i guess yes, sounds yes. like he might have been emotionally eating at that point and right eating his feelings and and we know. we go on you're literally like one paragraph ahead of me to where it talks about he does oh. start to struggle with that so you're right on spot on right that as many who leave the armed forces do david struggled with civilian life that's very common i've had tons of friends who have had four-year careers eight-year 12-year careers who've come out and it's really hard to make that transition between being told what to do every single day, where to live, what to wear, and then you're back into the real world and like your skill set doesn't necessarily transfer into real life. Right. So David took a job making only $1,000 a month as an exterminator, living Ew. in like, you know, very meager situation and working a grueling night shift. After work, David's routine consisted of stopping each morning on his way home from work to get a giant milkshake and a box of mini donuts both of which he would consume before going to sleep after getting home around 8 a.m. each morning. Breakfast of champions, right? Yeah. I used to get a Dr. Pepper and chocolate, chocolate donuts. Chocolate donuts, I remember. Every morning on my way to school. Every morning. Yeah. So, I mean, he's I, not I alone. It. Yeah. I feel it. Yeah. After arriving home around 8 in the morning, David usually turned on the TV at a high volume, listening to a TV show while he showered. And one morning during this routine, David would have his next aha moment because as we're seeing here, David is, you know, although he struggles with things, he does seem to be very introspective where he has these moments where he's just like, enough, what are we going to do? So as he got out of the shower, he saw on TV, there was a group of Navy SEALs going into the water. Great, more water sports. <laughs> because David was terrified of the water, he could not take his eyes off the screen. And as David was watching the Navy SEALs and during a strenuous training, he recalled that it made him reflect on his own fears and insecurities as he saw real men who were staying in the training and overcoming adversity. David said he felt inspired in that moment to become a better version of himself, which I think is pretty cool that he was able to pinpoint these moments in his life where he just said enough, like, like let's fucking do something about it. Yeah, self-awareness is huge and you don't get anything accomplished unless you're self-aware and you can look at that and be like, oh, I need to do that differently. 
Yeah, it seems like what he lacked in other areas, he definitely has some self-awareness, at least right. in important moments in his life. Right. And the like the idea that wherever you go, there you are, he was able to like be like, oh, it's wherever I go, here I am, it's still me, I still have to work on exactly. this stuff. It, it really changes things a lot. Exactly. She's, you know, we grew up with our mom telling us that essentially the thought is wherever you go, there you are. It means that you can't run from your problems. Moving to a new city because you're unhappy or switching jobs because you're unhappy or getting a new haircut isn't going to change anything unless you change, you know, the dialogue that's going on internally. And it seems like David does a pretty good job as his life goes on of, of at least doing that in moments that matter. Seeing the Navy SEALs on the screen made something snap once again inside David's mind. I got sick of being haunted by being nobody, he said. No one's going to come help me. It's me against me, period. So on that morning, David decided to become his own savior and wanted to confront every fear he's ever had. At the top of his list was his dad. David had not seen his dad in many years and believed he needed to go back to the root of his problems in order to really be able to move forward in his life. After meeting with his father, he realized that somewhere along the way, someone had inflicted a great amount of hurt and pain onto his dad, and that was in turn cycled into the pain his own father had inflicted upon David, his brother, and his mom. David was determined to end the cycle. As a person who I believe has done some amazing inner child healing work, can you add anything here on how doing something like this can help you rewrite the story for yourself? Um, putting yeah. you on the spot yeah. on our first episode. Putting me on the spot. It definitely helps to have empathy for it sounds terrible to have empathy for your abuser and not that you have to forgive them or say what they did was okay but to have understanding of this is why they did what they did that doesn't make it right it doesn't you know matter it wasn't about you essentially it's really hard to get to that place where right. somebody abused you they inflicted all this pain on you and you're able to look at them and say you did hurt me but it wasn't about me I didn't do anything wrong I didn't deserve right. it it wasn't meant for me right the person just didn't have a healthy outlet right for that. I mean the the reality is it did hurt that person and it does hurt the people that we abuse and harm but it does help to have an understanding of where they came from and I don't think you have to necessarily forgive, which we could debate that in a whole entire podcast. I um, think it's more about understanding. Yeah, it's and you can release somebody that's harmed you without necessarily saying, I forgive you. At least that's my opinion. Sure, yeah, yeah. I, I completely agree. So, okay, we're going to keep going. David was determined to take control of his life. Influenced by his life-changing moment was the Navy SEALs program. He decided to try and join the prestigious unit. And if you don't know anything about joining the Navy SEALs, it's considered the hardest training program in the entire world. David didn't want to sit back and continue watching these shows about great people doing amazing things. He wanted that own feeling. He wanted that feeling in his own head that he believed the men he was watching had about themselves. That feeling of true accomplishment. He's like, go big or go home. I know. He's sort of like, hey, going from 300 pounds, I think I'm going to go be a Navy SEAL. I feel like that takes a level of yeah. internal confidence, you know? So 24-year-old David called the Navy offices asking what he needed to do to enlist in the elite unit. However, much like David's classmates who tormented him in school, the recruiters just laughed at him. Jerks. I know. Classic, right? classic military. Right. After continuous rejection. Sorry for all the military people. <laughs> no, I mean, it's just, it's sad. This guy's over here trying to change his life. And I guess I could see where they're just like, haha, you well, want to go be a Navy SEAL. Yeah, but they have to be hard asses. It's part of their training, I guess. Right. I don't know. I'm not in the military, so. Yeah, but when you hear it, you're sort of like, oh, we're rooting for David at this point. Right. So you want them so to be, be like, don't be come mean. on up, son, and yeah. do the test, right? 
So after continuous rejection and not being taken seriously, David decided that he was going to go down to the offices in person. Good for him. Upon doing so, David discovered he would need to lose over 100 pounds to even qualify for the test. Dang. And he would need to do that within three months. Holy cow, that's not even safe or healthy. David didn't know if he could do it, but he was driven and he signed right up to start working out at the gym. He wanted to run four miles on his first day, but the out-of-shape David was only able to run about a quarter of a mile before he had to stop. I feel like I can relate to this because sometimes when I've taken a few weeks off from working out, I'm like, I'm going to go do an eight-mile run and then like a mile and a half in, you know, your eyes are kind of bigger than your legs can handle. Mistakes were made. Yeah. I mean, he has to lose, I don't know, somebody do the math, like over 30 30 pounds It's about a pound a day. That's crazy. So feeling defeated, David actually went home crying and again turned to food for emotional comfort. But this David was no longer the David that had eaten a box of mini donuts every morning on his way home from work. And the next day he returned to the gym with a new plan. Instead of running, David began his weight loss journey with cycling. David also started swimming and practiced using fins to help him float, confronting yet another one of his fears of water. Which of course he's going to have to get over if he's going to be a Navy SEAL, but... In his book, he says, I went on this crazy, crazy, crazy routine, eating hardly anything. And David's hard work paid off. The 24-year-old lost the weight within the three-month time frame. Wow. Which is amazing. David had done the unimaginable, but his amazing weight loss was nothing in comparison to what would lie ahead. Now he had to pass SEAL training, which could take up to 30 months, which is almost three years. The most difficult part of the program was considered to be Hell Week, which involved 130 hours of nonstop training with hardly any sleep. Despite all odds, David worked hard and finally made it to that crucial training period of hell. Unfortunately, David's body was tired and breaking down, and he contracted pneumonia during hell week, and he had to drop out of the training. That sucks. After recovering, David was more determined than ever, motivated by his goal and the progress of the aspiring seal that he had already made. David tried a second time, but a stress stress fracture once again forced him to quit on his second round. I feel like we have a third time's a charm coming. According to Navy SEALs protocol, David would only get one more chance to successfully complete the training. So I guess it's sort of a rule that you can't just try keep trying a million times. After everything he had been through, passing really seemed like a long shot. And before his final attempt, David realized that to succeed, his body and his mind needed training. David began refuting the voices in his head that had told him he couldn't do it. He began telling himself how awesome would it be if a fat 290-pound loser could turn his life around and become one of the toughest men on the planet. That's some pretty intense inner dialogue. Yeah, the battle, it's like we also say in our family, the battle is won and lost in In the mind. mind. And it's like until you get your mind right, the body isn't going to follow. It's 100%. Get it right and keep it right, right, which is the hard part. David believed he had to develop a mindset that was indestructible He had to build calluses in his brain the same way he built calluses on his hands. And finally, the third time's the charm is coming, David's hard work paid off on his third attempt. David passed Hell Week in 2001. And if that wasn't enough, David went on to successfully graduate from the Army Ranger School and received the Top Enlisted Man Award for his efforts. So not only was David now a Navy SEAL, but he was also the only member of the U.S. Armed Forces to have completed SEAL training, U.S. Army Ranger School, and Air Force Tactical Air Controller training. David Goggins had gone from 300-pound couch potato to a man who had made history at an elite level of success. Wow, good for him. That's awesome. David's accomplishments didn't stop there. 
In 2005, some of David's friends and fellow soldiers sadly passed away in the Operation Red Wings helicopter crash in, a, in Afghanistan. Overcome with grief, David wanted to find a way to honor his lost friends, so he decided to compete in the Badwater Ultra Marathon to raise money for the Special Operations Warrior Foundation. The foundation is dedicated to giving college scholarships to children of fallen soldiers. He found the race by Googling toughest marathons in the world wow. and discovered the 135-mile high-risk endurance test that was the Badwater Ultra Marathon. But the marathon organizers actually prohibited him from participating because it's such a tough race. They, you can't just as a civilian go sign up. And even though he was a Navy SEAL and all these things, they're like, hey, buddy, you can't just go run 135 miles. So we're going to say no for now. David was told he needed to enter another ultra marathon in order to be eligible to participate in the Badwater race. We know David well enough by now to know that he is not a man to give up, so he decided to enter 24-hour ultramarathon in San Diego, where he ran 101 miles in just over 19 hours. I don't know what the math is on that, but that's a lot of miles and not a lot so of hours. So many miles. <laughs> right. It was an impressive show for his first ultramarathon, but nonetheless, he was again rejected from the Badwater race. They said, nope, you're still not ready. Now, also fueled by pure and unfailing determination, David ran in his first just regular marathon in Las Vegas, where his completion time qualified him for the prestigious Boston Marathon, which he also finished with ease. So the Boston Marathon is actually really hard to qualify for. However, David was still yet to receive his invitation to the Badwater Ultramarathon, so he continued on, set on raising money in honor of his fallen friends and soldiers. David's next race would be considered one of the toughest races in the world, an ultramarathon in Hawaii. In 2006, after completing in the Ultraman World Championships Triathlon and placing second in the three-day race, David was finally invited to run in the Badwater Ultramarathon. I know. This guy just, I mean, I feel like to me, what is cool about this guy is it's almost like he tries something just because he gets an idea, but then what actually gets him to do it is he's like, nobody's going to tell me that I can't do it. And he gets so hyper-focused, which I think a lot of people struggle with the be, the ability to be able to be shot down or told no or to fail a couple of times. It almost seems like that doesn't deter him. It just like gets him right. more motivated. It's like, hold my beer and watch. <laughs> exactly. The Badwater Ultra Marathon was a 135-mile course that started 279 feet below sea level in California's Death Valley. The long-distance race ended at 8,360 feet above ground at Whitney Portal, which was the trailhead to Mount Whitney. With about 20 to 40% of participants failing to reach the finish line, David would really have to pull off something special to finish this race. He had run a couple of, of longer races, but he was by no means like a seasoned long distance runner yet of course as we know david now somehow david goggins considered an ultramarathon novice finished the race in fifth place wow unheard of for a novice david would david would go on to complete the ultramarathon two more times raising over two million dollars for his fallen friends during and after a combined 20 years of service in the united states armed forces david goggins went on to complete 60 marathon and ultra marathons winning some and placing highly in most others that's 60 that's so many david still wasn't done yet feeling on top of the world he would soon make world history in 2013 david broke the world record for most pull-ups in 24 hours he completed 4,030 pull-ups in 17 hours and owned that record for two years wow but just before breaking the record david received 
more bad news, which such is life. You could cut that out. That's don't say that again. (laughs) That was like Jacob's. Don't don't don't. Yeah, that's what I was was trying to do. (laughs) But just before breaking that record, David received bad news once again, which I know is such as life. But this man just really seems to be, you know, he's like in the prime of his life and they're just like, nope, don't get too excited. So during a routine medical checkup in 2010, David's doctor found a birth defect called atrial septal defect. David had a hole between the atrial chambers of his heart, which prevented the organ from functioning at more than 75% capacity. While the hole in David's heart had unknowingly been there since birth, his health was now deteriorating because David's lifestyle over the last several years beginning with when he lost over 100 pounds in just three months. David had put his body under constant and and intense physical strain. His bodily transformation was extreme, but not advisable. So as a fitness professional, I can say that it is very dangerous to lose that much weight that fast. It puts a ton of strain on your heart. So finding this out is not surprising to me. People can actually go into cardiac arrest if they're losing weight too fast. They lose you know, or if they don't have enough body fat, it can be very dangerous. Yeah, I don't ever have to worry about that. <laughs> Most of us don't, but it is something that you do learn going through, uh, you know, your exercise science uh, degree. By his late 30s, David Goggins couldn't go for a short run without needing to duct tape his ankles in place. The runner's hip muscle had also become tight uh, from... Wait, duct tape his ankles? What was like his, his body couldn't like... Oh, he had like weak ankles. Right. Gotcha. Like everything was just kind of falling apart. The runner's hip muscle had also become tight from physical stress, and David's body was turning inward, essentially sinking from the inside. So his muscular, his muscular skeletal like system was failing him. Like it wasn't keeping his body upright anymore, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. And on top of that, David's organs were failing. So to put it simply, he was dying. Wow. Desperate to save his own life, David began an intense routine. He decided to take on rehabilitation himself because the doctor basically said, you know, you can't be in the office for all the times that you need to be doing rehab and all this stuff. So it's going to be on you if you make it or not. So he would spend as few as two hours and as many as 12 hours a day stretching. After stretching every day but one over the course of four and a half years, David's body began to heal. The bones that had once jutted out a result of his body caving in on itself began to maintain the regular shape. David's body realigned itself, and after five years, he bravely returned to running. Wow. David's determination caught the attention of many, including millionaire Jesse Itzler, who is the owner of the Atlanta Hawks, and he paid the man from humble beginnings to move into his luxurious New York apartment because he wanted to learn from David's mentality. But not everyone approved and admired of the world's toughest man. David Goggin's story spread, and the toughest man in the world gained many fans. A lot of people admired his dedication and hard work. People also found inspiration in the athlete's life story. It was kind of a different rags to riches experience than your typical, you know, street kid to basketball player kind of thing. David eventually became a motivational speaker, and he really enjoyed helping others find the inner strength to change their lives. But some speculated that the toughest man in the world exaggerated the obstacles he had faced throughout his life. Others doubted the truth behind David's radical physical transformation and others doubted the truth behind David's radical transformation while some believed him but said he was clinically crazy, born with an inhuman work ethic. As David's fame grew, some found his medical history suspicious as well. People wondered how he could overcome asthma to be able to form at such a high level. 
Others questioned his military career, stating that he should have been turned away for having asthma, even if he had overcome it. However, David did not let the negative voices hold him back, and he also pushed back the idea that he had an unattainable work ethic that you can only be born with. David believed anyone could do what he did, and David's own life was evidence of this. So he eventually went to, on to write a book called Can't Hurt Me, Master Your Mind and Defy the Odds, which is where he basically shared all of the life lessons that he had you know, built up over the years, and it ended up becoming a New York Times bestseller. Did he have like any before and after pictures? Yes, and so great question. So on our um, TikTok, we will post like the little short version of the story and it'll have all the pictures and, you know, just like tons of different information. And you can also just Google him about what he looked like before and all the way from childhood through what he looks like right now. So the best-selling author was actually quickly criticized for promoting what some thought was a reckless lifestyle It was said by some that it was not motivational, but rather the story of an arrogant person who showed little respect for his body. And observers criticized David for entering races unprepared and said his work ethic wasn't inspiring, it was problematic. One reader stated that running with a pair of broken legs is not hard, it's outright foolish. Your body is trying to tell you something, and I cannot draw any inspiration from someone who abuses himself like this. The backlash of David's book didn't end there. Other readers found the language of the book to be inappropriate and vulgar, while others thought David was a narcissist and called him an arrogant individual. Ultimately, David's response may have surprised many, but honestly, it doesn't surprise me. I think people look at David and are either inspired by everything he's done, despite being born into a life where he was expected to become a nobody, or his accomplishments make them realize that they don't like who they see in themselves. So it's easier to try to bring him down and to diminish and like criticize what he's done so that they don't feel bad about their own inability to or unwillingness to accomplish the things they want in life. And I feel like you can relate to this too. It's it's like I really struggled early in my career with different things that the better I did, the more people wanted to criticize you. People don't waste their time criticizing people that they're not jealous of or that they don't envy. So if he truly wasn't doing anything, people would have not cared so much to get so loud about it. Right. Well, and on the flip side of that, I'm going to play devil's advocate here. It does sound like he lived to an extreme and there's, you know, with all things, there should be balance. And so his lifestyle isn't for everyone he may not have taken the best care of himself, um, but that's his life and his choices. And well, that's where I fall on it too, is I can completely agree that I wouldn't recommend that everybody needs to do this or should feel like they have to do it. But I also feel like everybody should like, why are you so worked up about it? He's not asking you to do it. He's just telling you what he did. If you don't like it, don't read his book. If you're not interested in it, then turn the TV off. You don't need to get so worked up because he made choices. Right. I think, I think the point that he tries to make is you can do hard things and you which can, is another family motto right, we have and you can overcome, you know, you can come back, you can overcome and you, everybody doesn't have to do that. I think ultimately the underlying theme is that it is possible. All the things you want to do are within your reach. You might not be willing to work as hard as he did for his, but that doesn't mean that it's not possible. It just means that you're not willing or able to do what it is that is required of you. Right. The athlete, highly decorated military veteran and best-selling author had spent much of his life being told that he wasn't good enough. From a young age, he had been hurt and abused by many and had experienced countless rejections. All of those experiences had made him tough, not only physically, but mentally, and David Goggins paid little mind to the haters. 
At 47 years old, David Goggins has an impressive resume and reportedly a solid net worth that is reported by Fenty as approximately $4.5 million. While some may call his life a job well done, David believes he's not done growing and continues to set new bars for himself both physically, mentally, and emotionally. In his book, he states that there's still a laundry list of things that we could still accomplish. And we may not all agree on how he lived his life or the choices that he made, but if nothing else, it's hard to doubt that David Goggins' level of self-motivation and determination is incredibly hard to match. Absolutely. I mean, he could have gone a completely different direction. He could have started knocking off convenience stores when he got his donuts and he could have spent his life in prison. He didn't do that. And that would have been understandable coming from his lifestyle and his childhood. So I think it's amazing that he did completely the opposite of what society would think he would do. And what people told him he probably would do. I I think that's what makes this story so great. It can be as controversial as you want it to be. Maybe he did live recklessly. Like, you know, that's up for debate. We can go back and forth about that forever. But what's not up for debate is that the man was very self-motivated and he totally made choices that took his life a completely different direction than it was ever expected to by anybody else. So I think that's pretty cool. Yeah. So that's the story of David Goggins, who I believe is living proof that the story really isn't over until the story is good. We love you guys. Thanks for listening. Bye.